Welcome to another episode of About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo, broadcasting from the Cellmark Studios, along with Colleen Daniel and the About Mansfield news team. We are your audio newspaper, and can you believe it's September already? This is episode 88. We thank you for being here. Coming up on this episode, it's Mansfield news and weather for the upcoming week. And a little later in the episode, you will have a chance to win a $25 gift card to the restaurant of your choice, courtesy of Mansfield Overhead Door, with our trivia question of the week. Let's take a look at the stories we're covering this week. Mansfield man survives third bout with COVID. Fiery crash on Monday remains under investigation. COVID-19 continues its increasing local spread. The Friday night light season got off to a rough start for Mansfield ISD football teams. Coming up in the features section. How we figured out how nuclear fusion actually works. We all get a little salty from time to time, but how much sodium should we consume? I'm Katrina Brown, and we will talk about it on this week's Texas Health Tip of the Week. In this week's Cocktail of the Week segment, I'll be sharing a drink that's a little sweet, a little sour, a little bitter, and a little salty. And no, I'm not describing me. We have the seven-day weather forecast, and Steve will talk in studio with local pastor Katie Hayes. We are Mansfield's only source for news, talk, and information. This is About Mansfield. Southwestern Adventist University is ranked number two in social mobility by U.S. News and World Report Regional Colleges West. That means Swahoo is one of the best schools when it comes to helping people better themselves and improve their economic circumstances. U.S. News and World Report also rank SWAU 11th best regional college west. If you're interested in learning more about SWAU, visit their website, swau.edu. Hey, business owners. Have you thought about growing your business through social media but don't know where to start? Never fear. I'm Sonia Salazar, and Wise Media Group is here offering coaching for do-it-yourself social media marketing, or we can do it for you. We have packages for every budget. Wise Media Group specializes in organic Facebook and Instagram growth. Let's get Mansfield businesses connected in 2021. Give us a call for a free 30-minute consultation at 817-913-2989. That's 817-913-2989. Or find us on social media at Wise Media Group. That's Wise, W-Y-S-E, Media Group on Facebook and Instagram. Wise Media Group, helping you make wise social media marketing decisions in 2021. Hi, I'm Adam Larson, Operations Manager at the Mansfield Star Center, and you're listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to About Mansfield. News came out last week that a Mansfield man has not only contracted COVID, but this is his third time that he has uh, contracted the uh, the virus. We are talking about Corey Ripe, and with us on the telephone is Corey's fiance, Jenna Paris. Uh, welcome to About Mansfield. Thank you. First of all, let's start with current news, and then we'll work our, our way backwards. Today, Monday, August 30th, how's Corey doing? It's remarkable. Um, I just told a friend on the phone, honestly, if you... If, well, we, we can't see him, but if you could, you would never know he was sick. His color's good. His voice is back. He said he feels like he's just tired. He doesn't even feel like he had pneumonia or has pneumonia. It's It's just... This is what he did last time, <laughs> truly. He came off the vent, and it was like, let's go home. You mentioned being on the vent. Was he on the vent with 
COVID the second time and perhaps the first time around? The first time was uh, April of 2020 when it first all started. And yes, he was on the vent for four days. And then he uh, tested positive for COVID again in January of this year. But it was a mild case or a normal case, I guess, like you and I probably would have. And then um, this time he was on the vent for five days. How different have each of the three viruses been to Corey? Well, symptom-wise, I mean, that's the thing. He literally has um, not one symptom until a few hours prior, and then he just goes downhill so fast. Um, the first time, you know, everybody would say, oh, did he have fever? Did he have a cough? He didn't have anything. He literally was fine, and, you know, two hours later, they were calling me saying he had a 50% chance of making it. It's just, and then the second time, truly, it was like he was in bed four days. We took him to the ER. They sent him home. And, you know, he didn't remember the March episode, so he was like, this is horrible. And I was like, well, but you were a lot sicker the, the first time. And then this time, it was almost exactly like the first go around. I had been out of town. I took my daughter to college in Arkansas, and I, it was weird. I, I wasn't going to come home that night, and I got home late, about 10, and he was sitting on the side of the bed, and it was kind of dark, and he said, and I had talked to him all day. He was fine, and he said, I think I'm going to have to go to the hospital, and I said, what are you talking about? And I turned on the light. Well, I knew immediately it was COVID. Um, his chest was very rattly. He was um, having a hard time taking a breath, and so I checked his um, oxygen levels, and they were about 85 which, you know, you're not dead, but that's sure not good. And he, he didn't want to go. And he said, I said, well, do a breathing treatment and let's see. And I mean, I knew. And then it kept going down to about, I think when I took him in, it was 77. Wow. And the oxygen levels or what's known as the O2 levels. Um, yes. Anybody who has a Fitbit can check uh, can check their O2 levels. And I've, if I recall, anything under 92 is not good? Yes. Um, we say, I mean, if you're an older patient, you know, anything under 90, but yes, for us, 92. And I mean, most of us run 97, 98 on a daily basis. And he was down in the 70s by the time he... 77. Yeah. Wow. The first time I took him in, it was 67. So we did a little better this time. The CDC talks about the different strains or variants that have come out worldwide. Do you know if this was the Delta variant? I did ask that because, Corey, I'll be honest, I haven't been keeping up with, with all of that. I just, you know, I'm I'm over it. And Corey has because, you know, what had happened. And so I asked the doctor and he said, you know, anyone now that we're admitting, um, we are calling it the Delta strain. Any concern about lasting damage to whether it's the lungs or the rest of the body over Oh, definitely. Um, they did fine. He definitely has some lung damage from the previous two um bouts with COVID. And, you know, that's the problem. They really don't know long-term what's going to happen, but they said there was definitely some scarring of the lungs. I was reading on your Facebook page that uh, you also have a GoFundMe project uh, because of some contact lenses. Well, it's funny. Um, I've never done any of that. It's actually, I did it through the Facebook. These contacts, they're literally the size of a nickel. Poor Corey is almost blind. And so, um, they're these special contacts. They literally cost a thousand dollars and so you know we guard them with our life he was still lucid when i took him in this time and so he had his stuff to take them out so the girl said he actually did take them out and but they disappeared so i mean poor guy he can't see his the hand in front of him 
And how's the fundraiser going? I mean, I was just shocked. Within I probably four hours, we had almost raised a thousand dollars, and now um, it's actually over that. Yeah, I'm seeing fifteen hundred and sixty raised. Of uh, you've put a ceiling of two thousand. So, if the listeners out there, if you want to contribute a dollar or five hundred dollars, go to Jenna Cunningham Paris, and that's Jenna with one N. Jenna Cunningham. Paris, and that's Paris with two R's. It appears to be posted worldwide, so uh, you'll be able to see that Corey Ripe beat COVID three times, but still needs to see with his contacts, and she is raising money for, um, uh, for these contacts. Switching channels here, we want to thank Jenna for uh, for being on the podcast. We're now switching and moving over to uh, Methodist Mansfield Hospital, where we've got Corey Ripe on the telephone. Corey, thanks for being on About Mansfield. Hi, thank you. You've beat COVID three times. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> pretty crazy. let's start with, how do you feel? I feel great now. It's crazy. It's like, I the, the both times I had it really bad, I went from like zero, I mean, feeling fine to like crashing and then getting intubated and then coming out of it and feeling fine. So I don't, it's weird. For the naysayers out there, the, the anti-vaxxers out there, is this, now you are vaccinated, is that correct? I am, yeah. So this is living proof that uh, you can be vaccinated and still contract COVID. Yes. You're the first case of that I know of that has been a, a three-peat, if you will. Uh, (laughs) do you, do you know of anybody else that has contracted COVID three times? No, I don't even know anyone else that's gotten it twice, to be honest with you. Well, and that's the thing I I think, even though I got it and I got it bad, um, I'm assuming it's Delta, you know, um, that I got. So if people don't get vaccinated from what I understand, then we're just going to keep getting more and more variants, you know? So that's the problem. You started in the ER. You had to wait there for some time until a room opened up in the ICU. And were you told, given any information on whether those that were occupying the ICU, are they vaccinated? Are they not vaccinated? Um, Most they said most of the people in this hospital that are sick are not vaccinated, that are in, that have COVID. They said almost all of them are not vaccinated. So the anti-vaxxers are just spreading it around amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. When do you get to go home? Uh, tomorrow. Nice. Yeah. So I'm excited. What's the first thing you're going to do when you get home? Man, I'm going to... Uh Give Jenna a big hug and kiss for taking me into the hospital when she did. <laughs> and uh, probably eat a cheeseburger or something. You want to give any shout-outs to people who have been in, by your side supporting, whether it's the hospital staff or friends, family, neighbors? Oh, yeah. I would love to say thanks to Methodist Mansfield. Um, you know, they did a hell of a job. All three times I had it, I came here. I'd like to thank all my friends and family for the prayers. And I haven't seen Facebook because I haven't had my phone, but uh, I guess it's pretty crazy. (laughs) So it's just amazing the people out there, how kind they can be. So I just thank everyone for the prayers and everything. Corey Ripe, Mansfield resident, three-time survivor of COVID. We appreciate you being on About Mansfield. Welcome home. The Mansfield Police Department is investigating a fatality accident that occurred Sunday night into Monday morning along Highway 287 near Broad Street. 
At around 3 a.m. in the morning, Mansfield firefighters, paramedics, and police officers were called to the scene in the northbound lanes of Highway 287. A car was traveling southbound in the northbound lanes when the driver collided head-on with another vehicle. At least one of the vehicles caught fire. Paramedics pronounced both drivers deceased on the scene. There were no other occupants involved. The Tarrant County Medical Examiner has not yet released the identities of the victims. The crash remains under investigation. The COVID-19 epidemic continues its spread in Mansfield with the numbers. Here's science reporter Dennis Webb. Dennis? Thank you, Steve. The city of Mansfield has seen a recent leveling off in weekly new cases reported this past week at 177 fellow Mansfieldians. This is a little down from the previous week, a hopeful sign, though not yet a, a solid trend. One new fatality here this past week, a typical value since the start, though three recent weeks saw higher numbers. 46% of Mansfield citizens over the age of 12 are fully vaccinated, according to county reporting, a 1% increase over the week before. Public health analysis suggests we need to get to around 70% to be able to stop or contain the viral spread. Mansfield Independent School District has recently resumed daily reporting on COVID cases, identifying 223 active cases among students and staff. You can find their daily reporting by individual school on the MISD website. Tarrant County's overall trend suggests the same spread. 1,043 fellow citizens were in one of the county's hospitals with the virus at the end of last week. This number has increased each of the last 12 weeks, growing from 80 citizens back early in June. The county's test positivity rate remains at 20%, indicating a lot of infected citizens have not yet been diagnosed. Community spread remains estimated as high. Texas statewide trends are similar. Tarrant County public health officials, our governor, our president, and all living former presidents recommend that all eligible citizens get vaccinated. From the Science Desk at About Mansfield, I'm Dennis Webb. In sports, the five Mansfield ISD football teams got off to a rough start Friday night as the Mansfield Tigers were the lone victors. The Tigers took the bus up to Centerton, Arkansas and overtook the Bentonville West Wolverines. The Tigers trailed Benton 21-7, but rallied for the 28-21 win, leaving their opponents scoreless throughout the entire second half. Home games this week include Timberview taking on Sam Houston Thursday night, while the Mansfield Tigers battle Summit on Friday. Both games are at Newsom Stadium. On the road, Legacy takes on Eaton in Hazlitt on Thursday night, while Lakeridge travels to Prosper on Friday. All games this week start at 7 p.m. Friday is National College Colors Day. All across the United States, students, parents, family, faculty, fans, and alumni celebrate College Colors Day every year on the Friday before Labor Day. Wearing your college colors shows spirit and school pride. So whether it's green and gold like I'll be wearing, or perhaps burnt orange, maroon, black, or red, whatever it may be, on Friday, put on those old college t-shirts and show your college pride. And while we check the weather, I can't help but wonder what color shirt Colleen will be wearing this Friday. Colleen? I'll probably be wearing red and navy blue, but regardless of what I choose to wear, I'll likely be sweating in it this week. Looking at our seven-day weather forecast for Mansfield, Texas, we're going to remain hot and mostly dry, with highs in the upper 90s and lows in the mid to upper 70s for at least the next seven days. 
There's a very slight chance of a pop-up shower, and we'll have south winds at about 10 miles per hour most of the week. Meanwhile, the Tarrant Regional Water District suggests that many Mansfield lawns will need up to a quarter inch of irrigation later in the week using the cycle and soak method with two start times for fixed spray and rotors. Be sure sprinklers are spraying the lawn and not the street. As always, you can view a map of watering recommendations for North Texas at waterisawesome.com. Coming up after the break, we turn our page to the features section. So when we come back in 60 seconds, science reporter Dennis Webb breaks down nuclear fusion. Health specialist Katrina Brown gets a little salty in the Texas Health Tip of the Week. And Brian Certain serves up another cocktail on the Cocktail of the Week. Coming up a little bit later in the episode, the trivia question of the week, and we talk in studio with the Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Stay with us. I'm Steve Casillo, and this is About Mansfield. Hey, Mansfield. Did you know cannabis is legal in Texas? I'm Sonia Salazar, co-owner of Wise Wellness. As cannabis educators and advocates, we can answer any questions you have regarding hemp-derived CBD. Wise Wellness carries a variety of products, including oils, topicals, edibles, and pet products. We are located on FM 157 beside Mansfield Fun Jewelry. As a thank you to the About Mansfield podcast listeners, we are offering a buy one, get one free special on select products. Just mention the podcast at checkout. Follow us on social media for our latest updates. Search for Wise Wellness. That's WISE, W-Y-S-E, Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon. Your logo or emblem defines who you are, so why not show it off with custom printed shirts? I'm Dana Wood with Ohana Screen Printing. We are a custom screen printing company and can print your design or help you create a new design. While t-shirts are our specialty, we can print on all kinds of apparel such as masks, hoodies, bags, you name it. Ohana means family and that's exactly why we started Ohana Screen Printing, to bring our family and community together through creative expression. We look forward to adding you to our family. Rest assured that when you do business with Ohana Screen Printing, that your dollars stay local as we are a family-owned business based right here in Mansfield. If you're part of a business, organization, or sports team looking to make a visual presence, hit us up on Facebook or ohanascreenprinting.com. That's ohanascreenprinting.com. Hi, this is John Teixeira with Teixeira Realty Group, and you're listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to About Mansfield, your audio newspaper. Let's open up the features section. E equals MC squared, the Big Bang Theory, and bombs all take part in science reporter Dennis Webb's breakdown of nuclear fusion. Dennis? Thanks, Steve. Last week, I discussed news about how we are a little closer to using nuclear fusion in a reactor to generate cheap electrical power for our homes and industry. How do we know how nuclear fusion works? Well, here's a little bit of the story. In 1905, Albert Einstein published his equation E equals mc squared. This suggests that tiny amounts of mass could be converted into massive amounts of energy if you could just figure out how to do it. In 1920, physicist Arthur Eddington observed that the energy released by stars, including our own sun, could be produced if the stars had enough hydrogen to fuse into helium at the appropriate temperature and pressure across millions of years in a continuous nuclear chain reaction. This idea of a chain reaction is where one fusion event releases enough energy to trigger more such fusions, releasing even more energy, and it keeps going. 
Over subsequent decades, Eddington's notions were proven right, including theoretical and experimental work done during the Manhattan Project to make the first nuclear bomb. The first demonstration of a sustainable hydrogen fusion chain reaction, a thermonuclear bomb test, first happened in 1952, right before I was born. In the 1950s, Sir Fred Hoyle, a respected astrophysicist in the United Kingdom, proposed that beyond the fusion of hydrogen into helium in stars, they might also fuse heavier elements such as the carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, calcium, iron, and many others necessary for life on our planet. Sir Fred had the idea, if he paired some astrophysicists who understood what information could be found in stellar spectra with a nuclear physicist who understood the current theories of nuclear fusion, they might be able to figure out how the heavier elements were forged in stars. Sir Fred recruited British husband and wife astrophysicists, Margaret and Geoffrey Burbage, to use their insights into stellar spectra. This is where you split the light from a star into a rainbow, and it can tell you a surprising amount about what's going on inside stars, including our own sun. Sir Fred also recruited American nuclear physicist William Fowler, who had recently worked on the Manhattan Project. All three of these had been working on these questions for years, just coming at it from two different directions. In 1957, they published a paper that showed how all the elements on the Earth could be produced by nuclear fusion inside a star. For the hundreds of isotopes of 84 natural elements, they worked out how each known isotope of each element could be produced by fusing more and more atomic nuclei in the immense temperature and pressure inside the Sun. Eight different rather strange nuclear processes at work, some requiring abundant gamma rays, some requiring different temperatures and densities. The interior of the sun and any star is a very complicated place, but has managed to keep heating and lighting our planet for billions of years. That is one long chain reaction. This happens in every star you can see in the night sky. In the current model, the Big Bang Theory, created the universe maybe 13 billion years ago, comprised mostly of hydrogen and helium atoms. The same singular event also created space, time, and the laws of physics, a very strange notion. Over time, the hydrogen and helium atoms were drawn together by gravity into stars and their groupings into galaxies. When stars fired up with their initial hydrogen and helium, they began fusing these into heavier elements. When stars get old and blow up, they send these new, heavier elements out into the universe. This is still happening. Some of this degree spread across the mostly vacant universe, and it slowly condenses into new stars that eventually fire up, perhaps in generations across billions of years, continuing to make new heavy elements. Our solar system was apparently formed from the debris of many nearby star explosions across billions of years, explaining how complex chemistry leading up to carbon-based life was possible on the Earth. So here we are, made up almost entirely of atoms created in countless other stars, created over billions of years, mixed in with a little, even older, primordial hydrogen from the beginning. We walk on rocks and soil only millions of years old in their present form, but they're also made from atoms created by stars billions of years ago. Do you feel old now? If you have any questions about science, send an email to info at aboutmansfield.com. From the Science Desk at About Mansfield, I'm Dennis Webb. It's time right now for the Texas Health Tip of the Week, sponsored by Texas Health Hospital Mansfield, located at 287 and Lone Star Road. Just how many saltine crackers can you eat in one sitting? Apparently, a sleeve is not a serving. This week, health specialist Katrina Brown talks about your sodium intake. 
Katrina. The American Heart Association recommends no more than 2,300 milligrams of sodium a day and moving towards an ideal limit of no more than 1,500 milligrams for most adults. Please note these guidelines to reduce to 1,500 milligrams per day do not apply to people who lose big amounts of sodium in sweat like competitive athletes and workers exposed to major heat stress or to those directed otherwise by their healthcare provider. How can you tell how much sodium you're eating? You can find the amount of sodium in your food by looking at the nutrition fact label. The amount of sodium per serving is listed in milligrams. Check the ingredients list for words like sodium, salt, and soda. The total sodium shown on the nutrition facts label includes the sodium from salt plus the sodium from any other sodium-containing ingredient in the product. For example, this includes ingredients like sodium nitrate, sodium citrate, and MSG. Remember to take note of the serving size on the nutrition fact label. If your portion size equals two servings of a product, you're actually eating double the sodium listed. Because the average American eats so much excess sodium, even cutting back by 1,000 milligrams a day can significantly improve blood pressure and heart health. And remember, more than 70% of the sodium Americans eat come from packaged, prepared food, and restaurant foods, not the salt shaker. An average American eats more than 3,400 milligrams of sodium each day, much more than the American Heart Association and other health organizations recommend. Most of us are most likely underestimating how much sodium we eat, if we can estimate it at all. One study found that one-third of adults surveyed couldn't estimate how much sodium they ate, and more than half thought they were eating less than 2,000 milligrams a day. Keeping sodium in check is part of the following an overall healthy eating pattern. The American Heart Association diet emphasizes fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, plant-based protein, lean animal protein, and fish. Replacing processed meats, refined carbohydrates, sweetened beverages with healthier options is the best way to go. Eating this way should help you limit your sodium as well as harmful fats. Now let's talk about insufficient sodium intake. And as I said before, if you have a medical condition or other special dietary needs or restrictions, you should follow the advice of your doctor. But that said, the body needs only a small amount of sodium, less than 500 milligrams per day to function properly. That's a mere smidgen. The amount is less than a quarter of a teaspoon. Very few people come close to eating less than that amount daily. Plus, healthy kidneys are great at retaining the sodium that your body needs. So basically, if you're worried that you're not eating enough sodium, it's not likely. Insufficient sodium intake isn't a public health concern in the United States at all. So, at your next meal, when you're tempted to pass the salt, consider doing just that. Until next time, stay healthy, Mansfield. On behalf of Texas Health Hospital Mansfield and reporting for the About Mansfield podcast, I'm Katrina Brown. Brian Certain is serving up a libation that's sweet, sour, bitter, and salty with the Cocktail of the Week. Brian? This week's Cocktail of the Week is the Palermo. The Palermo is a cocktail that, as I said in the intro, is a little sweet and sour, a little bitter, and a little salty. So it's got all four taste groups, plus we're going to add ice, and then we're going to add some bubbles, and the alcohol's there, so what's not to like? But like a lot of the classic cocktails, the history of the Palermo is something that has been lost over time, and many myths have come about, none of which seem to narrow down to one clear story. So we'll just say it's a classic cocktail with a very storied past. 
But as summer winds down and you find yourself looking for something to drink on another Texas hot summer day, tequila with freshly squeezed grapefruit juice mixed with a bit of lime juice and agave to round everything off, and you'll have a real cloud freezer on your hands. A touch of kosher salt on the rim will add that little extra touch. But don't worry about taking notes, as I'll be giving out the ingredients and the instructions, and they'll always be posted on bourbongospel.com. So what do you need? You'll need two ounces of a good tequila. Um, we've talked about that in the past, so you can review back. But something like Epsilon or El Hemador. You're going to use two ounces of freshly squeezed pink grapefruit juice. You use a half ounce of freshly squeezed lime juice, a half ounce of agave nectar, and you'll top with a grapefruit soda water. You're going to shake the tequila, the grapefruit, the lime, and the agave together in a cocktail shaker with ice, and then you'll pour into a glass with large ice cubes, and then you'll top with the grapefruit soda. You'll garnish with a slice of grapefruit or lime. Now, if you can't find grapefruit soda, you can use grapefruit bitters and freshly squeeze grapefruit and top with regular soda, or maybe a little simple syrup to sweeten to taste. But as always, I'm interested in your take and your opinion. You can reach me, as always, at bourbongospel at gmail.com. And until next week, as Mark Twain says, too much of anything is bad, but too much whiskey is barely enough. Reporting for the About Mansfield podcast, I'm Brian Certain. Congratulations to Liam Murphy, who was the first person to email the correct answer to last week's trivia question. What two businesses currently occupy the C.A. Smith Building in historic downtown Mansfield? According to the book, the History of Mansfield, Texas, the two businesses that occupy the C.A. Smith Building are optometrist Dr. Robert A. Smith and Lil Blue Goat. Liam has won a $25 gift card to Dirty Job Brewing. After the break, this week's trivia question of the week. I'm Colleen Daniel, and this is About Mansfield. The Texas Health Tip of the Week was sponsored by Texas Health Hospital Mansfield, located at 287 and Lone Star Road. Due to COVID-19, the record amount of unemployment and loss of health benefits to Mansfield area residents has been staggering. I'm Carmen McMillan, Executive Director of Mansfield Mission Center. There's never been a more critical time for the Mission Center to offer essential services. During the pandemic, the Mission Center has assisted hundreds of Mansfield area families with financial assistance, employment help, food, and or medical care. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance, Mansfield Mission Center is here for you. For more details, visit our website at mansfieldmission.org. That's mansfieldmission.org. Hey, it's Steve Casillo, and I want to take a second to tell you about Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. It's where we record and produce the About Mansfield episodes. Podcast Mansfield is a full-service studio with recording, editing, mixing, and mastering capabilities. can even help market your podcast. Podcast Mansfield is home to such great locally produced shows such as Ask Philip, On the Mark, Grown and Unfiltered, and Daughter of the Other Woman, just to name a few, and handles post-production duties for remote clients such as Coaching Through Chaos out of San Diego and epic voices and conversations from Palm Springs. So whether you're a hands-on person who just needs a place to record your podcast or need advice from concept to completion, Podcast Mansfield is there to help. Conveniently located on Heritage Parkway 
just off of 287 right here in Mansfield. Mention the About Mansfield podcast, and you get to record your first episode at no charge. For more information on starting your podcast, or if you're just looking for a better place to record, Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio can be found on the internet at podcastmansfield.com. That's podcastmansfield.com. Hi, I'm Bernie McCraney, Assistant to the City Manager, and you're listening to About Mansfield. It's time right now for the highly coveted, wildly popular trivia question of the week. The first person to email the correct answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com. We'll receive a $25 gift card to the restaurant of your choice, courtesy of Mansfield Overhead Door, offering residential and commercial garage door installation and repair, as well as box truck door services. Got a broken spring? Perhaps a cable off its track? Door opener not working? You can find them on the web at mansfieldoverheaddoor.com. Let's get to this week's question, Colleen. Well, Steve, the subject of today's question grew up in Mansfield and began her education in Mansfield Elementary School. Upon completing high school in Fort Worth in 1921, she studied at Bishop College in Marshall, Texas, and earned her master's degree in education from the University of Colorado at Boulder. For 49 years, she served as an MISD teacher and principal for three generations of students and has a school named in her honor. This week's question is, who is the person I just described? Email your answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com. Again, name the person I just described. Good luck, and thanks to Kevin and Tammy at Mansfield Overhead Door for the gift card. Welcome back to About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo as we make the transition from news to talk. And in the studio today, she is an ordained pastor in the Christian Church, the Disciples of Christ. She's educated from traditional ministry at some pretty darn good schools, Yale and Princeton. She served small steeple congregations for almost two decades. Back in 2013, she traded her last now church pulpit for the spiritual but not religious frontier, planting Galileo Church with and for spiritual refugees on the far edges of Fort Worth. As one iteration of Next Church, Galileo is thoroughly LGBTQ plus inclusive. She is an author or co-author of three books with a fourth one titled God Gets Everything God Wants, scheduled for release on September 21st. We welcome the Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes to a Mansfield. Hi, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. Now, do I do I address you as Reverend or Doctor? Could it just be Katie? That would feel so much better to me. <laughs> then I will address you as Katie. Thank you. Okay. How long have you been a Reverend? Well, I got a tattoo to remind myself. Okay. Um, the year I turned fifty. I had been ordained for 25 years. I'm 52 now, so that makes 27 years I've been doing this work. Always here in Texas. No, actually. Um, the first church I served was just outside Birmingham, Alabama. I went from there to the South Shore of Long Island, New York, um, and from Long Island to a suburb of Atlanta in Gwinnett County, and then from Atlanta to Texas, which is actually my home. I grew up in Texas. I just hadn't lived here for a long time before I came back to serve a church in Arlington. Okay. Are you a native Texan? Yeah. I grew up in Tahoka, out in the Panhandle, uh, just south of Lubbock. At what age did you leave Tahoka? Tahoka. Tahoka. 
Okay, which is what population? Twenty five hundred or so. Okay, yeah, pretty small. Uh, you grew up in Tohoka. I did. You went to high school in Tohoka. I did. I did. I got out as soon as I possibly could. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted it's... away, and I wanted as far away as I could get. So I left when I was seventeen. Actually, went to college. All right. Prior to going to college, so let's let's uh, a typical Friday night in Tohoka. Aside from high school football, what right. what's what's a typical Friday night for high schooler Katie in Tohoka, Texas. I would borrow my dad's El Camino yeah. and go cruise the drag, which was just a couple blocks long. There's only one stoplight in Tohoka, and they turn it off about 10 o'clock. So we would just drive <laughs> they up turn and off down. the stoplight? Yeah, it just blinks red after okay. a certain hour. Yeah. So yeah, I would just cruise the drag, driving up and down the main street and sort of making a loop around the courthouse and coming back. And I would just do that until I was too bored. And then I'd go home. Was there a Dairy Queen or, or not a place to hang out? It's uh, it's such a small town that the Dairy Queen that was there closed. Oh, I mean, no. There's a, I know, right? There's a real sign of how small your town is in Texas if the Dairy Queen doesn't stay open. Wow. You uh, Were you a good student? I was, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Valedictorian? Yeah. No, class, get out. In a class of 35, okay. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. And do you still keep in touch with any of your your classmates? Uh not no, not really. I left. I and I left. Yeah. It was a hard leave. So not so much. And my parents don't live in Tohoka anymore. They okay. moved a few years ago to College Station where my sister lives. And that really made it unnecessary for us to travel back to that little town anymore. It's not on the way to anywhere. So I haven't been there in a long time. Gotcha. And speaking of your dad, is it is today his birthday? Uh, yesterday, you give, actually. Give a shout out to your dad. Yeah. Happy birthday to dad. There you um, go. So I'm headed down to College Station here in a little while to have birthday dinner a day late All right. with mom and dad. Yeah. You left uh, Tohoka for or school? Which, I did. which school? I went to MIT uh, to study to MIT. engineering. Yeah. So Yale, Princeton, and MIT mm-hmm. are all in your uh, your resume. They are, but also let's not forget the Longhorns at the University of Texas Austin because okay. I'm really proud of that. I I did a master's degree there. Go Horns! In one of the sojourns back to Texas. Yeah. All right. So am I'm sorry. MIT to study uh, aerospace engineering. And obviously that didn't pan out because you didn't. You're, you're <laughs> yeah, it didn't. I, I could do it, but it hurt my brain. I mean, I you know, there's a way you can do work that you're not really suited for. So it literally was rocket science. It literally was rocket science, and it felt like a strain every day to um, bend my brain into that way of thinking. It's just not. It's not what I'm made for. It's not what I'm made for. So I was doing it and not loving it and thinking maybe this is the way life is supposed to feel when you're a grown-up. Maybe it's just really hard like this all the time. Um, But along the way, I had some important experiences that made it possible for me to see, oh, I'm just on the wrong path. And so what I need is a change to do something that I actually am gifted for and suited for. So I was able to make a change. And there's so much gratitude in my heart for the people and systems that made it possible to get a do-over. Sure. Yeah, it's sure. such a good thing. There was a cartoon that my kids grew up on, yeah. Nickelodeon or one of those channels, mm-hmm. uh, called Jimmy Neutron. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. and Jimmy had this project where he had, it required all the neighborhood kids to, to get together, and they're, they're, they're building a building, and, and Jimmy gets up on top of the soapbox and says, come on, kids, this isn't rocket science. <laughs> he goes, oh, wait, 
It is. Actually, it is. Yeah, actually, yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, so you left MIT mm-hmm. for for greener pastures. Yeah, and, yeah. To study and, theology. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and that w- that led you to. That actually led me back to Texas uh, for a little while, and so uh, I sojourned in Abilene for a hot minute, got expelled from a college there, came to Austin to a little school that had formerly been the Bible chair at the University of Texas. You can't brush over getting expelled. Well... (laughs) Uh, sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I went to a school um, that's part of a denomination that does not support women's ordination. And so my desire to be ordained into ministry just was not in sync with the school's mission and its priorities. Okay. So I was asked politely to leave. All right. That's yeah. that's fair enough. In the interim, I did that master's degree at UT because mm-hmm. I was in Austin with a degree and a fiance who wasn't done with school yet. And so to bide my time, I uh, did a master's in library science at UT, figuring if this pastoring thing doesn't work out, I can always be a librarian. Uh, and I, I did work as a librarian through graduate school, and I loved it, loved everything about that. Um, and from there, then my spouse and I went together to Yale Divinity School. So okay. I moved to New Haven. And having graduated from there, we did. We were actually in co-ministry for a number of years. And along the way, I picked up a doctorate of ministry at Princeton Theological Seminary. And with that, you decided to become a pastor. Yeah, doing yes, pastoring through all of that. Yeah. Did you always want to become a pastor? I, now you're you're in you're in aerospace engineering. Mm-hmm. Did you always have a a strong faith background? I did or... have a strong faith background. Yeah. So my family, we were churchgoers and in some sense our social lives, political lives, vocational lives sort of revolved around church life. That that's definitely how I grew up. But I I could not have articulated a call to ministry or a desire to do that kind of work because I'd never seen a woman do that. I, right. I don't think we can want what we've never seen. It's impossible to imagine that, I think, outside of your own experience. You have to have some inkling that something is what we call seriously imaginable before you can claim it as your own. So it wasn't actually until I went to MIT that I was part of a church where a woman was in the regular rotation of preaching and presiding over liturgy. She was at Harvard Divinity School and I was just enthralled, enthralled by not only her presence and her own vocational journey, but also by the system, that congregation that had made space for her to do that. And that's, what ninety eight percent of ministers, pastors, fathers are are well fathers mm-hmm. are men. Sure, and and so you're helping break that 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 glass ceiling and and it w- that was truer twenty five years ago than it is now. There are many more women now enrolled in seminaries um, across North America than men actually. Yeah. So oh, okay, yeah, it's t- it's tipping in some sense. Yeah, you came back to Texas. At what point did you? become involved. Your church is Galileo. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long has Galileo been around and, and were you a star, uh, a part of it from the start? Yeah. Galileo is my baby. Your baby. <laughs> I, I labored for that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I served traditional congregations for almost 20 years. And during that time, just grew increasingly aware that I was always the young uh, pastor, the young pastor and her family. 
as I was getting older, I was still very often the youngest person or we were the youngest family in our congregation. And I kept thinking, well, this is not sustainable. <laughs> Where are the people my age and younger? What's happening? Yeah. And just studying that cultural phenomenon in North America of first Gen Xers and then millennials exiting the pews of churches and other faith communities, but also lots of institutional life kind of disintegrating around uh, millennials just not wanting, you know, sort of refusing to inherit what their grandparents or great grandparents had built. And thinking about what that meant, what does it mean? Because I, I do believe that people are drawn to an idea that there's something beyond what we can see and experience with our senses here, that we're drawn to a sense of mystery, providence, however we're going to name that, and that people uh, yearn for community of belonging and community of trust, Sure, but that somehow the sort of now church, the churches that we grew up in, it, we're not we're not feeding that impulse. We're not drawing people to flourish in that way. And so, what's what's up with that? So, Galileo Church began just sort of as a um, an experiment for myself while I was still part of while I was still pastoring a traditional congregation mm-hmm. to say, okay, what does it look like if a bunch of twenty somethings get together to talk about spiritual things, to talk about God, even Jesus, even the Bible? Right. What kind of community sort of coagulates? out of that. And Galileo Church is the result of that. So that started in, well, officially we started Galileo Church in 2013. So we just had our eighth birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. And so, as I mentioned in the bio, Mm -hmm. the opening, that this is not your great-grandparents' church in that I attended Galileo. I've only been to one service. Yeah, yeah. But walked away going, wow, that was very cool. My my takeaway from it was um, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. It, it, I grew up Catholic, mm-hmm. and that it's very similar to a Catholic service huh. that I, I did. There were two, two readings. There was a homily. Yes. There are songs uh-huh. sung between... Mm-hmm. The, the readings and and there is an offertory and there's, there's also you go up and, and you break bread yes. instead of the, the, the little wafers. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, yeah, I felt it's like, wow, this is, yeah, this is what I'm used to seeing at church. Right. Where your church wasn't doing traditional hymns that you would find in the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. And this is actually what turned off my daughter mm. from the Catholic church mm. was... She goes, it's, it sounds very old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was actually at that point, I said, you need to go see, you need to go see Katie. <laughs> right. Is that what you're trying to do to attract the younger people? The, the, the songs are a little different. The, the, the message is a little different. Although in the end, aren't we all still praying to the same God? Yeah. And I think what's actually kind of shocking about Galileo Church is in some sense how traditional we are, how very Christian and how very orthodox we are. So we're using lots and lots of old pieces of liturgy, obviously the old scriptures, Mm -hmm. both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. We're saying the Lord's Prayer together. We're partaking in the Eucharistic meal in a traditional way. So much of that is from the heritage that we just refuse to let go. I mean, our ancestors in faith are precious to us, and they did the best they could to connect their own hearts with the heart of God, and we would be foolish to think that 
we are inventing something new in that sense. I would say what's happening at Galileo that makes it feel different is less visible than sort of stylistic choices we've made. The stylistic stuff is is clear. Anyone can see it or hear it. Yes, the music sounds a little different. Yes, we meet in a theater or a barn or a home mm-hmm. rather than a building, a church building. But what's less visible, and you sort of have to hang out with the community for a while to see, is that what we're trying to promote is a different way of doing life together. And that stuff comes out sort of in the infrastructure that we've built relationally, how we talk with and to each other, um, the level of transparency around decision-making and power distribution and use of money, all of that kind of stuff to try and answer some of the criticisms that people the age of your kids and mine have leveled at the church. We, we must be responsive to those things. If we're not, we're foolish because there are people who um, imbued with the spirit of the living Christ, I would say, know some things that the traditional institution of church has forgotten. Well, and the nice thing is that you had mentioned, whether it's being out of a, a home, a barn, or, or a theater, is mm-hmm. that the church feels different. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like you're going to church. Mm-hmm. And and that uh, that brings a, a level of, of comfort as well, that you're not going into a building that that is recognized as a church. It's yeah. like, oh, this is very cool that I'm going into. Uh, well, I know that you used to uh, church out of the Far Best Theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's actually where I attended your, your mm-hmm. service once was um, there. And it was just a very comfortable soothing mm-hmm. atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're now out of a barn, are you up, up yeah. off of I-20? Yeah. The northern part of Kennedale, south part of Fort Worth? Yeah, we have a um, Fort Worth zip code, but we're subject to Kennedale building codes. Okay. So yeah, it's yeah, kind of a no person's land out there on the we say the southeast outskirts of Fort Worth. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I love the word soothing that you used because um, the truth is, you know, that choice to not be in a traditional church building is in part because we don't have any money, but it's also um, because we really are trying to reach people who are not just, not only skeptical about institutional religion, but who have been in many cases deeply wounded by the churches or the faith communities of their youth. And so to get someone um, who is still Christ curious and still sure. longing for community and still perhaps wishful, wistful that that they can still be connected with their creator. If they're working up the courage to cross our threshold, we want to make sure that the environment we're inviting them into is not one that pushes all their buttons or alerts all their triggers so that, uh, you know, we're, we really are trying to soothe that sense of anxiety or even trauma uh, that people might feel coming into a traditional space. And how does Galileo differ? I had mentioned the Catholic Church, and there are other denominations, uh, Baptist and Methodist and and so on and so on. How does your church differ from from any other type of denomination? Sure. So we're part of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, which is a mainline, so read liberal, uh, and read kind of old line, uh, Protestant denomination in North America. Um, and I would say a feature of of the Disciples of Christ is that it's very congregational in its polity, meaning that you can have very 
individual and interesting iterations of that denomination that don't look a lot alike. So there's a lot of freedom for Galileo Church to develop an identity that is truly our own. And there's not a, a top-heavy hierarchy telling us, oh, you can't you can't do that. You can't use your resources that way. You can't invite those people, etc. Because you are the hierarchy. I would assume you have a board as well, but... Uh, yeah, we if, do. It's, if, it is the most, if you could imagine the most flattened out hierarchy possible, that's really where we are. We, we <laughs> practice and profess a priesthood of all believers so that we are inviting lots and lots of voices to be heard in liturgy and in decision making. Right. Um, so that there, it, it should feel far more dialogical than other religious hierarchies you might have been part of. The, the Galileo Church, when do you hold services? We worship together at 5 p.m., on Sunday nights. And it's lovely, I will confess, that having been a lifelong 52 Sundays a year, 10 a.m. worshiper, mm-hmm. it took so long for my body clock to adjust to that 5 p.m. worship time. But now, I really, really love it. And I find that it actually lets people um, have Sunday as a kind of day of Sabbath rest. You get to sleep in. Maybe you did your errands or your yard work on Saturday. So now on Sunday, you sleep late, you have some brunch, you take a nap, you watch a little football, and then worship is the thing that kind of closes out the day in a sense. And after worship is over, a number of people will go out to dinner together just to enjoy each other's company a little yeah. longer. It's just a very nice way to close out a weekend. We're talking with Katie Hayes, the Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes, and we will conclude this interview next week where we will also have the latest Mansfield news, talk, and information. Until then, don't forget to follow this podcast if you haven't already so you never miss an episode. It's free and it's easy. Just go to our website, aboutmansfield.com. You can't miss it. It's there on the homepage. Just enter your email address and boom, you are subscribed. We will never send you any spam. We promise. About Mansfield is recorded at Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. Hosts, Steve Casillo and Colleen Daniel. Reporters, Stacy Main and Dennis Webb. Moment with the Mayor feature, Michael Evans. Texas Health Tip, Katrina Brown. Home Improvement feature, Terry Radswin. Cocktail of the Week feature, Brian Certain. Post-production editing, mixing, and mastering, Steve Casillo and Jacob Atkinson. We thank you all for listening on behalf of the entire news team. Happy Labor Day. I'm Steve Casillo, and this is About Mansfield.